voice of millions of angels. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Good morning, church. Man, what an exciting time to be with you guys today as the family of God to celebrate our risen Savior who sits on that throne in heaven. Amen. We know that he makes all things new in our life, and we lean into the blessing that is Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is to be called his son and daughter, right? I mean, to know that we are so blessed because of the love that God has for us, and he's expressed that through his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, and you and I get to gather today t- collectively to, to sing praises to his name, to dig into the word of God, to pray together, to gather around the Lord's table. And we do that as a community of believers who in one voice say, there is a God and he is awesome. If you're a visitor with us, a guest with us this morning, we want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us today at Crosspoint. Our hope would be that uh, if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to join us as we tell that story of hope that is Jesus Christ, the story that this world so desperately needs. You and I realize that the world does not. And so our calling, our job is to, to head out into the public and to let them know how incredible that Jesus Christ is and how he can transform lives to make all things new. I'm going to encourage you to to join us next week as we begin a brand new series called Blank Page, and we're going to be talking about when God is silent. Many of you have told me your story about how you've been praying, about how life is kind of trolling along for you, but, but you feel like there's a disconnect with God, that he's maybe not listening to your story. And so we're going to spend a couple of weeks uh, talking about that idea, and I hope you'll join me next week uh, as we launch that. Today is our seventh week in Revelation. Hard to believe it was seven weeks ago that we started this series, uh, Reveal, as we've studied through this book, discovering how God's called us to live in the world in which we find ourselves and the culture in which we do. And John reminds us, as he does that first century church, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, to, to not fall to Satan's temptation to not be distracted away from the cross, but to live in a a type of life that would give him glory in all that we say and do. And so we truly want to be those types of people for God, that we scream his name from the mountaintop, that we let the world know that we serve a risen Savior, uh, and that we are blessed because of that. I don't know how many of you have ever received anything new in your life. Raise your hand if you've, if you've actually received something new in your life. Most of us probably would raise our hand on that. I remember the first new car that I had uh, was a 1989 Ford Escort. Oh, yeah. It was racy. Actually, it was pretty fast as stick shift with a five-speed. I'm really surprised that I got Robin with that car, but that, that's what happened. True, true story. 
a, a new car. I enjoyed it, but then we got into ministry in Oklahoma and we needed to upgrade. And so we sold that vehicle to uh, a set of twins that was in our youth group. And in two weeks, they had totaled that car. Can you believe that? The kids were okay. The car was not, but we move on. You've had those moments where you had that new car smell, metaphorically, where you've had something new in your life. I remember in the eighth grade, I was going to get and did get braces on my teeth. This is not a picture of me, by the way. Don't think that. (laughs) But we lived in Glenwood, Arkansas, and we drove some 30 miles to Hot Springs, Arkansas, where my orthodontist was because they didn't have one in the little town that we lived in. But my teeth were messed up a little bit, and so they were going to make it new. They were going to correct everything. I had to have some teeth pulled, and then uh, I got those braces on. And in our small town, I mean, that was even kind of a a social move in the right direction, if you know what I mean. I mean, if he had braces, he's got something going on in that bank account over there if he's got some braces. And so gained some new friends in the process, but got a new smile. You've had those moments before where you got something new. Maybe it was a gift you had on your list for so long and and somebody finally gave you uh, whatever that was on your list, or maybe you moved into your first home that you purchased, or maybe the first new-to-you vehicle that you were able to, to buy. But we've all had that experience of something new in our life, but but all the world is not like that. Not all of the world have have experienced new. We just had our team with Don come back from Kenya, Sam's place. And the, the kids that we support there, the 40 students at that location, can't hear a thing. Imagine for a moment, they, they've never heard the honk of a horn. They, they've not heard the rain on the roof. They've not heard applause. They've not heard a voice. And for them to have something new like hearing in their life would be, would be a gift. It would be unbelievable. I've got a friend by the name of Ricky Gudum who uh, works in the country of India, and he works among the slums. He has a great ministry going on and uh, baptizes several hundred every single year. Uh, but the folks that he works with have never really known new. They live in poverty. They live in sickness and disease. And Ricky tells them about the hope they can have in Jesus Christ and how he will make for them all things new. But in this life, it will probably not get much better than the picture on the screen because they live in poverty. They live with sickness, and many do not have jobs. You think about the life that we get to live And we take for granted, many of us take for granted the home in which we live in, the parcel of land that that house sits on, the car that we drive to the job that we have. But a lot of the world that we live in don't understand what new really means. My guess is, as John writes this letter, Revelation, he's frustrated Because what he's trying to do is to put in human language what he is visually getting to see. Today we're going to take a look at what heaven looks like, what it's going to be like, because that's what he talks about at the very end of this letter. But I imagine his frustration is because he just cannot put into words what he's actually seeing. He's doing the very best that he can. But for John, it's just a struggle. It's just difficult 
I would imagine it's probably something like Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When Paul says in verse 9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And church, as hard as we try, we cannot begin to think about what God has prepared for us. It is going to be awesome. Are you guys here this morning? I'm not sure. (laughs) It is going to be awesome. Yes, thank you. I'm glad that you're here. Thanks for joining me. But when we think about heaven, when we think about what God's prepared for us, sometimes we kind of get numbed just by life as it's happening. A.W. Tozier mentioned that we use finite words to describe an infinite eternity. And that is so true in our own lives, how we try to wrap our own minds around what God has prepared for us. And today we're going to get a picture of what heaven looks like, what's there and what's not there. If you'll recall, all seven weeks we've talked about one overarching question that we've all been asking as we journey together, and that is, how do I stay a faithful follower of Jesus Christ who is ready for Jesus to return? And we want to be faithful followers of Christ, don't we? We want to lean into his story. And so over and over and over again in text, and today it's no different, John says to those who would follow Jesus, be ready. Because if you'll remember last week, Jesus himself doesn't know when he's coming back. And John wants all of us who would be faithful followers of Christ to be ready for his return to do whatever we need to in our own life to make Jesus Christ number one, the only thing that is important in our life, and everything else falls behind that. So this morning, let's start in chapter 21 of Revelation, and we'll read those first five verses together. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And church, that is a hallelujah moment. When we read what will not be in heaven is so incredibly important to each and every one of us as we wrap our mind around what is going on and what God is creating for us because he is creating all things new, but not brand new. It's recreated. Now, some of you guys know that I've got a side hobby where I take things that have been left on the side of the road and remake some things. And some of that artwork is much more beautiful than others. (laughs) But I take that that wood and I repurpose it. God is going to do the same thing with his creation. He's going to recreate 
everything. There is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. It's all completely new, but it's the same artist, the same designer, the same creator. We're going to be very familiar with it. The new earth has no brokenness, no sin, only God's glory. Can you imagine? Only God's glory in that place. In verse 2, we're reminded, John says, that heaven is coming down. Have you ever read that before? That heaven is coming down. In most of the stories and how we're taught growing up as young ones in church that we go up to heaven. And while I think that is part of the story, we certainly meet Jesus in the air. Text tells us that heaven is coming down so that heaven and earth become one again. A new heaven and a new earth. And for some of us, maybe we read this idea of the city of God, the new Jerusalem coming down, and and we're a little troubled because we really don't want to live in the city. I mean, most of us are here in the metro, and so we have some trouble with the traffic and the potholes and everything else going on in the city. We really like wide open spaces, don't we? If you're anything like me, you like headed down a road where there's nothing in front of you, just pavement and greenery on the sides. It's an exciting time to be out. We love the country. We love camping by the river when the weather is just right and the temperature is just right. We love the taste of s'mores at night coming off the fire. We love being outdoors in wide open spaces. And for those that are wanting that type of eternity, let's read verse 15 beginning in chapter 21. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. And when he measured it, he found it was a square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel in verse 23. And the city has no need of sun or a moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. Church, we're not going to need a flashlight or a torch or street lights because God is our everlasting light, and He will illuminate all of heaven for us. We'll not need the moon, the stars, the sun, because God Himself will be the imminent light in that place. And you talk about space. I mean, 1,400 miles cubed. I kind of got the Google map out and tried to do some figuring here. And a close approximate would be a city that starts in Grand Prairie and ends in San Diego, California. That's approximately 1,400 miles and in all of that space, there's about 45 million miles worth of roads and highways. Uh, in a typical city, there's about 10 blocks to every mile in a city. And Jesus said in John 14 that he's going back to build a place for us. He's going back to build us a home, a mansion, if you will. And if you were to put four of those mansions on every block, you could estimate about one 
billion mansions in heaven. And oh, by the way, that's just the first level. If you remember, it's also 1,400 miles up in the air. There's a lot of space. I don't know if any of you have ever done the tour of homes. That typically happens around the holiday season where people decorate their homes. You get on that tour, you go and see things that you will never get to own. You've been on those before? So, no, my home will never look like this. It will never be this big and this beautiful. Let's pretend for a moment you get to heaven and you get on the tour of homes. If you were to see 60 mansions an hour working in a 12-hour day, it would take you 6 million years to see all the homes. We're trying to create, and John's trying to create, not the reality of what that's going to look like, but helping us understand the vastness of God's creation for us in eternity. For us, that is huge. Can you imagine the first century church reading that? This would be almost a brand new world. And John says, well, actually it is. I mean, you think about that sinking down into your cortex, how vast heaven is because of how much God loves you. His love is deep and wide. His love is immense. But how do you describe the indescribable? How do you put to words what no words truly describe? I mean, there is so much beauty in what God is creating for us. There is no pain. There is no sin. There is no conflict at all. I mean, what would it look like for you and I to to walk out the front door of our house and never be afraid? What would it look like for you and I to walk up to total strangers and begin a a conversation with no worry about being rebuffed? What would it look like for you and I to make brand new friends every single day with no fear about the outcome of what that might look like. It's an incredible picture, a beautiful picture of what God is doing for us and preparing for us. In verse 18, John says that the city is made out of gold. It's like glass. And the walls are made of precious gems. In in verse 2 that we've already read, it says that God has prepared this City, this heavenly space, as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, I've done a lot of weddings in my ministry career. I, as I said last week, I did two this summer. And one of the things that I try to do at every single wedding uh, happens at the very front end of the wedding, typically. The groom is standing beside me, and it's the moment that the door is opened at the back and the bride is revealed. At that moment, I try to watch the groom. Every single time, there are tears, there is emotion, there is shock. She's going to be mine. She's planned this day for months. She's prepared for this particular day. And the groom is just ecstatic of who he gets to marry. It's the same type of imagery that God reveals to us. He says that he loves us so very much, that he loves you and me so very much, that he's going to prepare this place for those who love his son and follow his son. So, church, we focus on that idea 
And it renews our love and desire to be with God on that great getting up morning, doesn't it? Our desire is to be with God, our creator, the one who loves us so perfectly. And heaven is going to be a place of perfect health, no sickness. John tells us there's no pain, there's no conflict, there's no issues And for some of you this morning, you're saying, that's it. You had me at hello. Let's go. You don't need to hear much else to know that there's not going to be any more sickness because, frankly, in your life right now, you've been dealing with cancer and chemo. You've been dealing with with kidney failure, with respiratory issues, with circulatory issues, with the loss of sight or memory. I mean, sickness seems to dominate your life right now. And frankly, you are tired and ready for it to be different. You can only imagine the days when the day was non-medicated and you had a strong, healthy body with no pain. But way back in chapter 14, John reminds us that heaven is going to be a place of rest and Sabbath. It is going to be a place where we can rest in God's amazing grace. I continue to be amazed when I hear your stories, how some of you have more than one job, and especially for those of you that are single parents. I've been there before. I know the amount of tenacity that's needed, the physical uh, projection that's needed to make that happen. But it amazes me how many of you will work more than one job to put food on the table, to make sure there's insurance in the home, that your kids are provided for. What an idea that you and I will never have to work another day ever. Somebody said hallelujah, and that is exactly right. (laughs) The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. And we try our best to do that in this life. We are reminded that God is on his throne as we have done in this series over the last several weeks. And we acknowledge that and we find peace in that knowledge. But church, think about it for a moment. When we are in heaven, we will see God on his throne. How incredible will that be? To see the creator of the universe, the creator of you and me, sitting on his throne in his rightful place, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our risen Savior who loves us so very much. I can't wait to be in his presence. There are moments in our married life where Robin will leave for the weekend and go see friends or maybe go home to see family. And the evenings that she has gone from the house... It's very difficult for me to go to bed. I keep all the lights on. I keep the TV on. I stay up as late as I possibly can. I don't want to go to bed. (laughs) But you know what? I rest, truly rest, when I physically see her home, when she's in the house with me. And and that's got to be some inkling of what it's going to be like to be in heaven. We, We know that we are married to our Savior. But what's it going to be like when we are there with him? Can you imagine how much peace you and I are going to have? And church in heaven, we're not going to be bored. I have heard a few times, well, what are we going to do up there for all eternity? (laughs) Some folks are a little worried about that. In chapter 22 and verse 3, 
John says, no longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there and his servants will worship him. We will realize in that moment, church, our task and our purpose, accomplishing what we were created for, and that is giving glory to the Lamb. Our purpose is to worship God. It is not to collect things to put in the garage. It's not to buy the next biggest home. It's not to move up the corporate ladder. Our purpose, what we're created for, is to worship God Almighty. And we will be doing that all the time in heaven. I mean, imagine for a moment having access to all the knowledge ever discovered in the timeline of all humanity and having access to all the knowledge that was never discovered in the timeline of humanity. Imagine for a moment getting to sit down with some of your favorite Bible characters and talk to them about their life and their interaction with God and what that was like. I mean, heaven is going to be a place of uninhibited worship. We are going to get to reach out and be a part of God in heaven and worship him every single day. We were reminded last week in chapter 19 that we will be part of that multitude, that great multitude that sings hallelujah to our Savior time and time again. Sing to Jehovah, sing to the Lord. We will rejoice in the moment. And I will say, church, I think Cross Point, there's a little piece of heaven right here in how we worship because you guys love to sing. And I love to hear you sing. We are definitely a lively and spirit-filled group, and I wouldn't have it any other way. We love to worship our risen king. We were created for worship. And I I remember the very first time that Robin and I kind of snuck in here on a Sunday morning to really see if God was calling us to cross point. You didn't know us from Adam. And I remember Brad and the praise team being on stage here and leading us in worship. And I remember hearing your voices being raised in this room, praising our risen Savior. And I remember throughout the course of that worship time together, Robin and I were weeping because we had not heard worship like that before. It's going to be a little piece, got to be a little piece of what heaven is going to be like for us. Can you imagine for a moment worshiping face-to-face with God Almighty? Standing before his throne and getting to look upon him, knowing that he is our creator, that we are in a safe place, that nothing will ever harm us again because we're now under his care and his watchful eye. Nothing but the glory of God in that place and we will worship him continually. And John extends hope in this letter at the very tail end, not by expressing what is going to be in heaven, but what will not be there as well. It's as if he tried the best he could to let us know in human words, this is what you can expect in God's glory. He's tried his best to go that direction. He says, I'm going to try it from a different direction at this time. And so I want to read two or three verses that we've already read this morning in chapter 21, beginning of verse 3. John says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. I am making all 
things new. Can you imagine everything that gives us grief gone and not even a memory? This is what God has in store for you and for me. So church, I want to beg you to, to, to bear with me for a moment as I read through some of the things that are going to be gone. Because I know in your own life you're dealing with some of these issues. And as we read, as I read these things, if you find one that you are excited about being gone, an amen, a hallelujah, a preach on, whatever you want to do sounds great. You do it. So in heaven there will be no more cancer or chemo. There will be no more divorce or lawsuits. There will be no more rejection, loneliness, or depression. No more band-aids, no more casts, no more crutches, no more wheelchairs, no more pacemakers, no more MS, no more suicide bombers, no more school shootings, no more metal detectors, no more persecution, no more MRIs or X-rays, no more anxiety or medications, no more middle-of-the-night phone calls, no more miscarriages, no more rape, no more abuse, no hurricanes, no more tornadoes, no more coughing, no more flu shots, no more acne, no more love handles, no more bad breath, no more government programs, no more yelling, no more bullying, no more fighting, no more road rage, no more negative social media posts, addiction, legalism, pretending, and death will be gone as well, church. John wants to let us know how awesome heaven is going to be with our risen Savior. And so he sits on his throne and he says, Behold, I'm making all things new for you. And we, like John, ask the question. Jesus, we know that you reign. We know that you've conquered everything. But how long? How long do we have to put up with what Satan is doing to our world. And three times in the last chapter, Jesus himself says, I am coming soon. I'm coming soon. Be ready. Be prepared. I don't know when I'm coming, but I'm coming soon. And I'm going to bring everything with me to take you back home. At the very end of the last chapter, John says one phrase that I want you and I to remember as we go out of this place this morning. It's the phrase Maranatha, and it means, Lord, come quickly. I I love that phrase, don't you? Lord, come quickly. I'm ready to go home. How about you, church? I'm ready to say goodbye to all the sin, the devastation, the temptation, everything that Satan has done to ruin my life and yours. I'm ready to say goodbye to that. And I'm ready to embrace all the beauty that only Jesus Christ can give me. And so this morning, as we're going to sing this song here in a moment, I'll invite the praise team back to the stage now. As we stand and sing this song together in a moment, my guess is for all of us, we're at different places at our focus on Jesus' return. And so maybe this morning, just right where you stand as we sing within your own heart, you're going to need to make a recommitment to following Jesus Christ. To say, Jesus, I want to be ready, and I know that I've got to get my own house in order. And so I'm asking you for strength as I stand here to help me make a decision to be 
a different person, a transformed person, someone that looks like your son and daughter. Maybe this morning there's some of you here that, that you're really struggling with how to be everything God's created you to be, and so you need some encouragement and some courage for the road. And our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room as we sing this song. And I want to encourage you to step away from your chair. Go find one of our shepherds. Let them lay hands on you to pray for you and over you so that God would give you the courage necessary and needed to conquer Satan in your life, to overcome that temptation that you're dealing with. Or maybe today's the day that you say, you know what, I'm not really ready. I need to be baptized into Christ Jesus. I need to put him on as my Savior. I need to make that public confession and as you're buried under that water, you're, you'll rise a brand new creation full of the Holy Spirit, ready to march out into the world, and you'll be ready for his return. Today's the day, church. Don't leave this room without telling yourself that you are ready for the Son of God to come back and take us home. He is our groom. We are his bride. He loved us enough to give himself for us, and he's loved us enough to create a place for us. Let's go and enjoy that together. And let's praise his name as we stand together and sing.